So um, I never was a person who thought much about being quote-unquote present. Uh, I've noticed it, the uh, rhetoric has gotten ratcheted up by my mother because now she's a grandmother with like seven or eight kids, and she's always talking about making memories. I mean, it's at a borderline cheesy level. Uh, she sends the crying emoji to me a lot after a family get-together because it was so special. I drop off my kids. She goes and takes them, and as she's walking around to the other side of the car because she's taking the kids, I'm happy, okay? You're taking the kids. Great, all right? Only one kid. This is a piece of cake. So I'm in a good mood. My mom walks around the vehicle. She's in tears. Why? Because she wants to remind me as she's getting in the car that one day, as fast as you can blink, they're walking down the aisle. And what is she talking about? I used to be her little baby, and now you're not. You're grown up, now take care of your kids. And what's her point? You know, like this, this thing called life, like it keeps marching on. And, you know, you've heard the saying, right? Like, like the, the days are long, right? But the years are short. Like before you know it, it's past. And now I'm realizing, now that I've got a, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and, oh, goodness, we have a three-week-old, four-week-old, three-week-old. Um, being present now actually matters to me more now than ever. I'm beginning to measure, just personally speaking for a moment, everything against that more and more. Ministry, being a pastor, life in this community, what in, anymore is going to take away from that reality? And what will it take for me to be in the present with the people that are around me? Because I hate to admit it, I don't know where you're at with this, there are certain segments already of the last three years as it pertains to my children, I don't remember. They were on my knee. I was playing with them. Had you taken a, a video or a picture, I don't remember it. I don't remember it because I wasn't present. I was physically present. I was not mentally and emotionally present. My mind was a thousand miles from that little train set. And so for some of us here, we're, we're at different phases of life. Some of us were physically not present and mentally not present. Some of us have been physically present, but you were never mentally or emotionally present. So what do you do with that, with your past, if that was you? What do you do with that if you've dealt with the issues of that from your past, if that was you? What do you do if you're sitting next to someone who's trying to move on from that, from their past, and what do you do? And so what you're going to see in this text, and I hope you can, this is the reality of life as you know it. Most of us in this room spend a lot of energy regretting the past, dwelling on the past, dwelling on pain from the past. So we burn energy that way, right? And here's the thing. The next logical step would be what? For me to talk about the present. But no, 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 we don't do that. Because then the next thing we worry about is what? The future, which, by the way, you can't change that either. It's an illusion to think that you can. So we sit in our present doing what? Looking at yesterday. You don't have a time machine, so you can't fix that one. Then all of the things that you think you can control in the cosmos, good luck with that, right? So then what happens in your present? You're never present. You're never actually here. Because we're dwelling on the things that happened, the things that happened to us, the things that happened to others, what was said to us, da 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 Wish I woulda, wish I coulda. Let me tell you what, Satan loves your past. He loves it. 
He loves your dysfunctional childhood. He loves the broken aspects of when you were a kid. He loves it. And if he can just keep getting you to just stand in it and wallow in it forever, man, it is a win high five for him. Why? You can't change it. There's your own little personal slice of hell from Satan. There you go. Enjoy that agony for the rest of your present because you won't be present. You'll be in yesterday. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you are consumed with controlling tomorrow and fixing tomorrow. And every last one of us, whether you want to believe it or not, we're in one of those gamuts. And the really specialized amongst us, we're good at living in both. The hard part is staying in now. Right now. So you're closing out a year. We all are closing out a year together. And yesterday and 364 other yesterdays may not have been so hot for you. May have been painful for you. May have been tragic for you. May be a lot of things that you'd like to redo for you. And I would invite you, instead of doing what our ridiculous culture keeps doing year after year after year, why? Because it, it sells the next, the next fad, the next health craze, the next workout machine, is not just to react to yesterday. Here I know, I ate like a glutton, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Why? Because that's the reaction to that for tomorrow. Now I can control tomorrow again, see? No, no, no. What Jesus is about to invite you to do through this story is instead of reacting to now control the future so it doesn't look like you're yesterday, how about you just sit in today with him and then he'll take care of tomorrow. See, that's what he wants. So, that was a long introduction just to say this, all right? Turn to page 1028 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. I don't have any uh, notes up on the screen. Uh, we're going low budget from last Sunday today. Uh, we'll get back to the uh, high echelon of technological uh, savvy and expectations that you have uh, very shortly. But if you'd like to follow along, we're going to look at Mary and Martha, this short little snidbit into uh, two varying different approaches to the very person of Jesus. And again, if you want to try to get these, always got them mixed up all the time, all right? Who's the one that's always all about the thing and what they got to do? Well, that's uh, Martha. How do I remember it personally? Martha Stewart, okay? Is it fair? No, but it's how I remember it, all right? And then you have Mary. So let's just pick up in this story of what's happening here. Verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So we can just stop. This is Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Verse 38, this is the description. The description is that Jesus is with the disciples, passing through town, and maybe you can relate to this with everything that goes on this time of year, with Christmas and everything else. She opens up her home, but it's an impromptu opening up her home. She just became the hostess with the mostess in this moment. But oh, by the way, most likely not just Jesus, because he's traveling with his disciples. So highly doubtful that in her little tiny home, which is what most people would have had, incredibly small, not living like you and I by comparison, I can promise you that. The smallest home in here, take a room, there's your house back then, okay? And so now she's decided she's going to take on the whole crew. Most likely that's what would have happened. So she goes into host mode. 
That's what she's going to do. So imagine now cooking for a dozen people. Imagine now arranging seating for a dozen people or more, maybe more. You have Jesus and his disciples. And she opened up her home. And verse 39 says this. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That position, that posture, sitting at his feet is one of lowliness, is one of, you know, tell me, master, what's going on? That's it. She's at his feet. She's not sitting in a chair looking him eye to eye. She's seated below him looking up to him. She is receptive to whatever it is he has to say. But one thing's for sure, she's not going to miss the now, see? She's not going to miss the present. She's going to catch every word of this. And I'm sure the pots and the pans are banging and clanging around, and her sister's running around like a chicken with her head cut off, and there's noise and there's chaos, and the disciples are probably trying to figure out where they're going to sit, and they're shuffling of feet, and all that stuff that you get to experience when you try to put something on. And there's only one person that's seated at his feet listening Every word and every motion and everything he has to say and every glance and every look on his face, she's soaking it all up. She doesn't want to miss it. She recognizes that this moment may never come back again. Here it is. Don't miss it. See? And verse 40 says this, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. This is the beauty. Do you realize in the Old Testament, there was over 600 laws that you had to obey by the time Jesus is on the scene. 600 regulatory laws within the Jewish faith, right? And what does Jesus do? He rolls up in a culture of 600 and he reduces 600 to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what's interesting. The 600 is way more complex. And here's the irony with Jesus' teaching. But the two is infinitely harder to carry out than the 600. At least this is a checklist. At least I can know if I nailed it. But here's the problem with what Jesus does when he's done taking 600 and turning it into two is this. It goes to the heart of a human being. He doesn't leave it at what you appear to be. He doesn't leave it at what, how you appear to talk and how you appear before others and how you look like in the community and what others' perception is. No, he's, he actually goes to the heart. In other words, your motivation behind what you're doing. Here, you could just do it. Here, that didn't cut it. Just doing it doesn't work. What's your heart? In this moment... <laughs> Martha comes unglued, and her question in an instant reveals exactly to Jesus that something's wrong, not in her request. The request isn't unreasonable. Wanting some help when you just got ambushed, or maybe you brought it on yourself, fine. That's not unreasonable. That's a fair question. Is anyone going to help me? Would you mind seeing if she'll help me? She's not working with me on this, right? It's a fair request, but here's just it. Here's the question. Why was she serving in the first place? What was that really about? Why did she want them in her home to begin with? And now, what is she actually most concerned about 
now that Jesus and the disciples are actually in her home. You see, this is now a motivation question. Why do you do the things that you do? What drives the way that you treat the people around you? What leads you to react and to act throughout your life, your business life, your work life, your marriage, your families, in your community? Why do you do what you do? That's the heart of what Jesus is driving at right now. That's the nail that he's putting into this situation is the why, see? He's not going to leave her alone. And this is what he says, Martha, Martha. See, when he repeats her name twice, just so you know, this is the heart of God, is he already knows. He looks at her heart and he knows it's broken. He knows it's foul because what she's managed to do is actually shroud a heart of service. That's what it looks like, a heart of service, but it's actually rooted in more selfish concerns and anxiety and self-conscious issues of what will they all think? Is Jesus impressed? What kind of a meal am I pulling off? Does everyone feel like they're having a good time? That's what she's most concerned with. And that's what Jesus is now going to the heart of. Is this about having me in your home and us having this conversation in this moment together? Or is this more about me coming into your home, being on the big stage, and you can say when I walk out of here that you entertain Jesus? Two different motivations. What's that about? And when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, he only uses that phrase twice. When he repeats that, what he's really saying, it's from a heart of pity and love and compassion. So you need to know this right, up, right, right now. This isn't about beating you up today or tonight. If you're a person that tries to white-knuckle the future, if you're a person who sometimes struggles with what are your motivations, hear that first two words that come out of Jesus' mouth, Martha, Martha, and just for a moment, insert your own name. Understand that God isn't here to do an atomic elbow on you right now because you just can't figure it out and you're a dummy. That's not it, see? He has compassion on her. He understands that in a moment, she's being controlled by something within her that's actually rooted in brokenness, approval, receiving approval, finally feeling somewhat complete, if not for a moment, by doing what she's doing. And Jesus understands that in the human condition. That's why he repeats her name twice. It's from a place of pity and love and compassion, not judgment. So understand that in 2018, if that's been you, if you are controlled by what you try to control, if you are controlled by the past or a desire to control the future, Jesus isn't here to just let you wallow in that, but at the same time, he's reaching out to you in a heart of compassion, not judgment. This is a God that wants to hold your hand or pat you on the back and lead you as the person he created you to be in the moment. See? That's his heart for you. So he says, Martha, Martha, Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. The phrase in some other versions of scripture is the good portion. The good portion. She has chosen the good portion. See, Jesus is doing a turn of phrases, because what is she divvying out? Portions. Portions of food. He says, you have chosen what is the better portion, and it will not be taken away from her. What he is saying to her is, check this out. You're spending so much energy and so much effort, wrongfully, if I may add, 
trying to divvy out portions of stuff that even after you fed all of us, guess what, besides myself, they're all going to be hungry again. And they're going to need someone else to feed them. But the moment that I am here in your home, I sustain forever. So don't miss the portion of me that's in your presence, see? And so this is what I would challenge us to do. See, because all of us are caught in some level of the regret of our past, the anxiety about our future, and then we live captivated by those two realities. And here's the truth for 2019. Here it is. The only way you will be present is to submit to His presence. That's it. You want to be present in 2019, you have to submit to His presence. What does that mean? What do I mean by that? That means you take your past once and for all, whether it was 2018 or 1988 or 1978 or 2008, whatever you want to define that as this evening, okay, you take your past and you nail it to a cross. That's what you do with it. It's put on a cross to die and never live again. Whatever that is, it's dead. It's dead to God. It's sown into the deepest part of the sea. He became what is ugly about you on a cross. That's what he became. The worst of you, he became on a cross. The worst of your family, he became that on a cross. The worst memories you have that have formed and informed who you are are on a cross. So you take that and you put it on a cross and you leave it there. That's why he died. Don't water down this sacrifice by trying to take that stuff and rip it out of his hands. It was nailed to his hands. Why do you want it? Let it go. Leave it. And then what you do is you run to your future. And you let him take your future all the way to the resurrection. You leave your past to the cross and you leave your future to an empty tomb. Because I can tell you right here and right now, no one is more passionate about your future. Not even the little things, not even the small things, but your eternal future quite like Jesus. No one cares more about the days ahead of you and the breaths that you are yet to take like Jesus. No one is passionate more about your tomorrow than him. And what he invites you to do is just stay in today in trust. Make today your worship. Make today your, 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 your offering of worship that you will stay in today because once you put your past on the cross, you put your future in an empty tomb, now you're free to be in the present with Him. And it's only in His presence that you can be present in 2019. And if there's anything I can implore you enough is do not try to venture into the territory that Jesus both died and rose again for. He's got it. He's got it. When you hear the voices of yesterday, don't forget the cross. When you think of the worries of tomorrow, don't forget an empty tomb. And what you will find is this beautiful gift that God is giving you is to meet you right here, right now, tonight in this pew, in everyday 
forward. And that is when, here's the irony, that is when people's futures in this life begin to change and begin to blossom. That is when the load that they carry on their shoulders one day to the next begins to melt away. And suddenly, they see their tomorrows in a completely different way. It's just one more day that Jesus is with them on this earth. It's one more day that Jesus will define them on this earth. It's one more day that Jesus will speak over them the truth of His love and His grace and His mercy into their lives. So God be with you. God bless you. And Happy New Year.